Locked On NBA. The biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in New York to speak with Gavin Shaw of Locked On Knicks about the surprising New York Knicks under Tom Thibodeau and the play of Julius Randle. We go to Boston to speak with John Corrales of Locked On Celtics about the elevated play of Jalen Brown, the double big starting lineup in some of the Celtics' struggles. And then lastly, we go to Charlotte to speak with Walker Mail of Locked On Hornets about LaMelo Ball and the beginning of the season for the Charlotte Hornets. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and I'm the lead analyst at Yahoo Sports Australia and at Basketball Monster. The NBA, there's weird stuff going on all over the place. There's big blowouts, there's surprising performances, there's slumps. All this stuff, it's going to happen in a weird season like this. And we're going to cover a few of those surprises right now by uh, talking to these hosts from the Knicks, from the Celtics, and from the Charlotte Hornets. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw is here with me. Gavin, the Knicks are sitting at 3-3. Three and three. They've had some, uh, some blowout losses, some blowout wins, some surprising wins. Is it better than you expected? Yeah, it it uh, it feels like we won the Super Bowl. Um, not not quite that good, but um, I'm certainly enjoying it. And it it just feels, Josh, extremely different in that the Knicks feel like a regular NBA team. They're not uniquely bungled from a coaching perspective. The personnel isn't uniquely um, misaligned. I guess would be the best way to put it. There there are issues. There are strengths. They feel like a normal basketball team and. Seemingly two decades into a rebuild, that that kind of feels like a win for the Knicks. Yeah, it does, and that's how wild it is. So you look at their games; like they lost their first two games by a combined thirty-four points. They lost their other game by seventeen points. So the games they've lost, they've been absolutely smashed in. But they beat the Bucks by twenty. They had a rematch against the Pacers and knocked them off on Saturday. Um, you know, beat the Cavs pretty comfortably. So it's, it has been a little bit up and down. But you're right; the competency and and it wasn't it, look, it wasn't a low bar to jump over in terms of coaching competency from what we've seen from this team. For the last couple of seasons, but but it's there and it's putting players in a better position to exceed. And they're doing it with some injuries as well. Obi Toppin only played in the first game of the season. Emmanuel quickly just made his return on Saturday as well. Alec Burks, who started out on fire, has missed you know, three consecutive games with, with an ankle problem. Um, so I guess there is some room for optimism there for Knicks fans. But if we're going to talk Knicks, we have to talk about Julius Randle, who's been playing at an all-star level, maybe. I wouldn't say he's necessarily going to be an all-star, but he has been excellent for a guy that Knicks fans wanted um, shipped out literally as soon as possible. He's been their best player by a comfortable margin. Yeah, I, I was certainly in that category. I was, I was strongly advocating that they trade him preseason. I was of the opinion that I, I couldn't really see if you're going to draft Obi Toppin at a date already 22 years old, allegedly the quote-unquote most ready NBA player in this draft. You were drafting him to start him. You were drafting him to supply some level of floor spacing that Julius Randle absolutely did not give them, shooting sub-30% from three a year ago. And instead, you turn around, and Julius Randle is is essentially the fulcrum of everything they do. He's averaging 21 points, 10 boards, 7 assists. I think he's he's the sixth forward in the last 40 years, Josh, to be averaging over 10 boards and 7 assists through a team's first five games, just ridiculous. He's been relatively efficient, especially relative to last year. He's shooting 
I mean, extremely efficient compared to last year. He's shooting 49.5% overall. Last season, he was at 28% from three. This season, he's up to 50% from three. A uh, couple big differences in his game. He just seems like he's in incredible shape in what's functionally a contract year for him. Um, the, the Knicks have a, a big option that, as of last year, it didn't look like they were going to pick up in 21-22. Now it looks like a distinct possibility that they will pick that option up. He's been in great shape. That's allowed him to get out in transition a bit more than last season. His first step is a lot quicker than last season. And because of that first step, he's able to create advantages that draw in the defense. And he's making excellent decisions. And even beyond that, um, it, it versus just like not committing turnovers, he's making passes that you typically only see from Luka Doncic and LeBron James. Like over his head, no look, kickouts to the opposite corner for three. Um, and, and just possession in and possession out, uh, manipulating defenses in, in ways you often only see from the elite of the elite in the NBA. I, I, for someone who was an avowed, quote-unquote, Julius Randle hater, I, I cannot say enough good things about the guy. He's been so good. And, and even going back to um, yesterday's game against the Pacers, he didn't shoot very well. He still found a way to make a positive impact. He played excellent one-on-one -on -one defense against DeMontis Sabonis, had a Number of great passes, anticipated double teams, saw them coming, threw it to the right guys. The Knicks as a whole are shooting ridiculously well from three-point range despite a couple of really cold games, and a lot of that starts with Randall creating open shots for them. We had questions about the Knicks and what they were doing at point guard. They waived Alfred Payton, uh, his non-guarantee, and then brought him back. They you know, drafted Emmanuel quickly, who basically played as a shooting guard in college. Uh, yeah, brought in guys like Austin Rivers. They had Frank Nilakina and Dennis Smith. So it just looked like a disaster of a position. But basically, Randall's playing that point guard spot for them. He is the guy. Peyton's obviously starting as the nominal point guard, and he's still doing some of that. But Randall is that guy, that uh, yeah, that big initiator type. He's not LeBron, obviously, but in that similar sort of role, which is a massive surprise considering again where he has uh, where he has come from. What has been the other biggest change? Do you think with this team apart from Randall being yeah, good, as opposed to being not good last year, which is a really simplistic way of breaking it down. But what's the other big thing that you've noticed different this year with the Knicks? Yeah, I think, I mean, this is this is maybe the easy way out, but it's organizational competency in, in all capacities um, from coaching and the front office, the way they filled out this roster. I was, I was a little iffy about it going into the season, but outside of the Obi Toppin pick, which I think if they had that back, there there are a couple of guys, at least I, I would have strongly preferred for them to take at that spot. I think they nailed just about everything else they did this offseason. Getting Emmanuel quickly at 25 um, was a pick that on draft night, a lot of people, myself included, weren't thrilled with. Uh, that, that was an excellent pick, even though he's only played two NBA regular season games. I feel comfortable saying that from the get-go. It's been a high-level shooter, um, incredibly adept for a young player at drawing fouls holding up defensively, looking like he could potentially be a point guard when he profiled more as a combo guard coming out of Kentucky. And then just the way they filled out the roster around him and around the guys they had coming back last year, adding Alec Burks, who's been, to your point, on fire from three-point range when he's played. He, he's, ju he ju he's just about everything they needed offensively. Someone who was smart, could shoot the heck out of the basketball, could draw fouls, and would make smart passes and play unselfishly once he drew the attention of the defense. And then Austin Rivers, I, who's only played the last two games, who's another guy who's been injured for the Knicks, I can say all the exact same things about. Again, just doesn't take anything off the table, keeps the machine going, either hits a three or pump takes, gets into the lane, 
kicks it out to someone else who has an advantage off the dribble. They're just getting these competent veterans that have filled in a lot of gaps on this team. And you combine that with player development, and you could argue going into the season, the Knicks had been the worst in the NBA at player development over the last couple of years in terms of the resources they allocated and in terms of the actual on-the-court impact. Mitchell Robinson looks like a different guy. He's not fouling defensively. He's staying on his feet. Even when he doesn't have big block numbers or big offensive numbers, he's impacting games in really significant ways. R.J. Barrett, again, again, outside of the Pacers, he hasn't hit a three, so maybe we'll slow our roll a little bit with him. But for stretches, he's looked much improved and is a much more efficient player than he was a season ago. Frank Nilakina, for the game and a half he got to play, Josh, looks much, much better. The jumper's really falling at a rate I didn't expect it to. And with his defense, that makes him a valuable rotation piece. When you have that improved personnel and you combine it with a coach who offensively and defensively is putting everyone in the right positions, and Tibbs really seems to have learned from his failings in Minnesota in terms of how to construct a modern NBA offense, the Knicks are taking the right shots. And they're holding defenses to the or, or opposing offenses, excuse me, to the wrong shots on defense. You get a product that is playing a little over its head from a talent level, and that's how we've ended up at three and three with the Knicks. Gavin, I'm sure we'll have you back on to talk about the Knicks when uh, Julius Randle and RJ Barrett die from playing 40 minutes every single night because they're, <laughs> they're not far off that at the moment. They're playing about 38 a night at the moment, so we'll, uh, we'll be back to talk about that at some point. But for all of your Knicks news, go and check out Gavin on Locked On Knicks. Gavin, thanks for jumping on with me. Yeah, Josh. Uh, I'm, I'm, I can't say I'm excited for that podcast in good conscience, but it, it could happen. It could happen. Well, and I'll talk to you then. It's college football bowl season. It's NFL playoff time. We're, uh, we're getting right there. And the NBA has started as well. And there's only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust, and that is betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. And if you use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 50% as a welcome bonus. They'll give you an extra 50% on your deposit. How amazing is that? I know that you guys are listening to this podcast because you love the NBA. There are some wacky scores. There are wacky results, but you have the knowledge. You listen to Locked On NBA. You listen to the Locked On Podcast Network, so you can put that knowledge to the test. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now let's bring in the host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. John Corrales is here with me, Boston. It's been an indifferent start to the season, I guess, John. They've uh, just, won, <laughs> just won their fourth game with a um, just a two-point win over the Pistons after losing to them on Friday. They currently sit at four and three. Um, what is, it's not panic time at all, but are there worries here with the Celtics with this, I guess, lackluster start to the season? Um, I wouldn't say worries. Um, there, there are a couple of things at play here that you, you kind of hang your hat on and say they're, they're still kind of getting integrated. Uh, Tristan Thompson didn't have any of the preseason, so he he's now in the starting lineup. He they, They've had minutes restrictions on him because of his hamstring. Uh, I don't know if he's going to play in the back-to-back against Toronto. They, they held him out of their last back-to-back. So there's elements of new guys getting acclimated, you know, the short turnaround, keeping guys from adding to their game. So there's there's lineup experimentation that's going on here. So there are things that you can look at and say, this isn't how it's going to be three, four months from now. But at the same time, there are concerning drops in motivation and lack of energy and some lack of focus that it's, I, again, don't want to say it's a concern 
that I think that's going to linger. But you, you just wonder sometimes, like, you know, why don't they have that focus all the time? Because when they do and they play with energy and they play, you know, together, they can actually be pretty good. We'll talk about some positive stuff a little bit later, but a couple other things I wanted to mention. Uh, on the broadcast today, the Celtics announcer said that they don't expect Kemba Walker until February. Was that just an off-the-cuff remark, or is that accurate? Um, that doesn't sound all that off to me because they, they were talking about getting an update in January. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the, the timeline. Um we have been told by Brad Stevens multiple times recently that he's really not close. And so we're now into the beginning of January for him to not, you know, being, being a few weeks away makes, makes some sense. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted to get some reps in before March, kind of evaluate how he feels during that modified all-star break and then figure out how to approach the rest of the season. That's obviously not great news because yeah, he with Gordon Haywood moving on, he was the second or third best player. I'd say you probably heavily clearly is the third best player with how Jalen Brown started, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But what have you made of the decision to start the two bigs, which was curious to me at the time. I haven't been convinced with the results so far. Um, is it something yeah, it's probably not something they're going to persist with once Kemba is back, but how has that Tyson Thompson front court looked to you? Uh spotty. I, I did a whole big breakdown uh, earlier in the day, and it, the results are kind of up and down. And it's tough to blame those two guys because some of the, the problems have been that the Celtics' perimeter defense hasn't been particularly great this year. When I talk about them not playing with energy and focus, I mean, that's I've seen Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum get burned defensively uh, a little bit this this season so far that's something that has to pick up because they don't have the type of rotation that they had last year with Gordon Hayward he uh is is much more nimble obviously than than Daniel Tice it it has shown some success but it also has shown some failure it, it's a wildly inconsistent lineup uh the good thing is is that they only use it about 19 to 20 percent of the time uh, they don't use it. They haven't used it at all in second quarters. They've barely used it in fourth quarters outside of this game against Detroit and a couple of other short stints. So it's not something they go to a ton, but because it starts each half, there's a focus on that. I don't know how long it's going to last. Uh, I actually believe that it could run more smoothly with Kemba Walker because offensively, him getting past the point of attack is, is going to help that lineup uh, with a lot of dump-offs and, and dunks and alley-oops. Let's talk about the positives because Jalen Brown has ascended into superstar-ish adjacent territory, I'd guess. <laughs> he, at times, he looks like the better player than Jason Tatum, which I don't think anyone would really have ever thought we'd say more than once this year. And we, we literally, literally have said that multiple times this season. I wouldn't say that that's the, the way that it's going to be all season, but Jalen is really taking on that role of being the number two guy um, you know, with Haywood and Walker not there. He's ascended his game. Is it sustainable? Like, what are we seeing here from Jalen? Because it's been a, a remarkable start to the season. Yeah, I mean, some of it's probably not sustainable because he's shooting something like 75% from mid-range. That obviously is going to taper off a little bit, but he's going to hit that, I think, at a pretty good clip. And as long as he hits it, you know, at somewhere above 50%, then then that still makes him 
deadly from that, that area. But there is a lot of sustainable stuff in that he's using the pick and rolls extraordinarily well. He's, he's shown the ability to be a strong pick and roll ball handler. He is passing. His passing has just been phenomenal. His court vision has just increased uh, to a degree that I never expected. Uh, he's he's doing a lot of things that are sustainable. Even if his shooting tails off, uh, he's had a couple of super hot shooting games in the early going. But the way he's playing has evolved to a degree where he's going to put himself in position to make shots. Like he's not just taking bad shots and making them. He's getting open. He's taking what uh, in in these double big lineups. He has benefited from these double big lineups, getting handoffs you know, staggered screens, different things like that, that have opened him up. And, and he's again, has capitalized in that mid range. He's lived in that area. And that's a playoff shot. That's going to be a shot when they pack the paint in the playoffs that they're going to rely on. So it's good to see that it's there in the early going. Yeah, that, that is super encouraging to see him you know, play at that level. And it really does look, you know, imagine imagine comparing the Jalen Brown we saw two years ago when he was coming off the bench to what we're seeing now. Like the, Insane. The, the evolution of his game has been ridiculous. And it's something Boston's needed. Last thing from, from you here, John. Any worries about Jason Tatum? Because he didn't take a single free throw in his first two games. He's taking some questionable mid-range shots at times. Is there any concern with how he has looked offensively this year? Um. I think that he's struggling a little bit with the attention that he's been getting. Uh, he even said it after this Detroit game where he says, I'm not, I'm not taking anybody by surprise anymore. He's getting double teamed off pick and rolls. He's getting blitzed all the time. And he's struggled with that. Sometimes I, I think that that definitely has to get cleaned up. He turns the ball over a little too much. Uh, he needs to, figure out how to play through some of that contact, really play off of two feet rather than try to fly in off of one foot. If he can get set down around the rim, play off two feet and go up strong, that's when he does tend to get his fouls. So that that might be a little bit on, on Brad Stevens to occasionally throw in some sets where Tatum gets some some touches in the post. And, and works and, and has his newly broad shoulders because he really has hit the weight room over the past couple of years, uses that body that he's built to his advantage. So I, I don't know if there's concern necessarily. It's something to watch. But I, I think that just modifying some of how he plays is, is going to help that. It is going to be really interesting to watch how this all works for Boston, where they can get back on track when Canberra eventually gets back and how the double bigs look. And John, you'll have it for us all on Locked On Celtics. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. You got it, man. Thanks. Built Bar is back. The best tasting protein bar ever is back in your lives with six new flavors to go with the original 12 flavors. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. These aren't like your regular protein bars. They're not your father's protein bars. They're not even your uncle's protein bars. They're the new generation because they taste just like a candy bar. Covered in 100% chocolate, they are soft and easy to chew. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy who's looking to lose or to maintain their current weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The new Cookies and Cream Bar, which is my favorite, has 17 grams of protein with just 130 calories and only 4 grams of sugar. So go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. 
Let's now bring in the host of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Walker Mail is here with me. Walker, the Hornets. Um, let's well, let's get the big news out of the way. Lamelo Ball. He is a couple. Of, it was rough to start off with. People were clamoring for more minutes. The minutes have come. He looks great. Let's just talk about you know, how he has looked and what your impressions have been of Lamelo over this first five games of the season. Well, and you could see it. It's kind of exactly the same thing that happened over the preseason. A guy that didn't make a basket in the first game and that eventually became one of the better players. The regular season, he has a debut that wasn't very good, doesn't get a basket at all. And then eventually you start to see him get more minutes and you start to see him actually score a little bit more. I've been really impressed, Josh. I mean, you think about the passing ability. That was something we already knew. Um, but when you watch him actually be aggressive, driving towards the basket, finding some guys down low and getting them easy buckets as well, he's been really impressive in that regard. The three-point shot was always the worry for me and a lot of people that evaluated what he could possibly do for the Charlotte Hornets. And you see what he was able to do in the last three games of December, two for four, two of three, four of five in those games against OKC Brooklyn and Dallas and since cooled off in the last couple of contests if you're just going to get even an average three-point shooter from LaMelo even close to that then he's going to be a plus he's been impressive so far Josh and I think Charlotte Hornets fans have to be really happy with what he's given us yeah look he's he's been fantastic you're right it was a rough start and those minutes have pushed up and over the last couple of games he has been playing more minutes than Devontae Graham who yeah was the starter and the breakout player of last season um, but it feels a little bit like your Graham is regressing. Maybe the league is figuring him out a little bit. He's shooting 27%, I think, from the field, which is obviously a horrible number. Now, he was a, p- a poor shooter last year, but I thought initially they might go with more ball and Graham combinations, but at this point, it almost feels inevitable that Lamelo is going to take over that starting spot for Devontae. Is that on the horizon anytime soon? Yeah, I think so. James Borrego just mentioned, even after that game against Memphis, that he's going to reevaluate the starting lineup and he's going to do it hard, is what he said. And he's going to see if Devontae Graham might be out of the starting rotation and then maybe even put LaMelo Ball in because he is playing. He just played 30 minutes this past contest. And you see Devontae, I mean, he's given you two games in a row now where he's gone one from 10 for the field and then one of six from beyond the perimeter. If Devontae Graham isn't giving you three-point shooting, then then maybe he can give you a good facilitating game. He has been giving you assists. Certainly the first two games, he gave you 10 apiece there. But he just can't continue to shoot that poorly, Josh. And and I'm one that was a Devontae Graham fan, a little polarizing here in Charlotte on what they should do, whether they should give him an extension. Is this a guy that you actually bet on? I was one that wanted to take that swing because of the small market that this team is they haven't had a lot of talented guys in the last few years and I wanted to lock someone in at a decent price but it was always going to be a gamble considering what happened the second half first half of the season for him last year legitimate all-star consideration at least wasn't going to get it but at least was being tossed around in conversations second half was really bad for him and I think that's why I'm so scared of the shooting numbers it's because it's not like it's only six games of bad shooting from Devontae It's the fact that we did get a large sample size the second half of the year where he was giving off poor shooting numbers. And you look at him not increasing his free throw attempts. He's not and he's not doing a good job of hitting at the rim and just like last year. So he's not progressing in that area. 
I just I wish Devontae was giving you more. And if Devontae is going to continue to play like this, then LaMelo Ball, the third overall pick, of course, it's going to be inevitable that Ball is going to get that starting uh, that starting job. Hornets had a massive win against the Mavericks midweek, but the last two have been pretty rough. 15-point losses to the Sixers and to the Grizzlies, and they take on Philadelphia again on Monday. Would you say the overall level of performance, which those two big surprises, the win over Brooklyn and then the massive win over Dallas, um, and then yeah, poor losses to Cleveland, to Oklahoma City, is this sort of what you expected from this team? or Have they underperformed or outperformed your expectations? Well, the joke with the Hornets is that this is what they always do, right? Like the, the, anybody here is not surprised by the two and two record uh, being the way it is. Maybe you wouldn't be surprised with the two and two record, but you're surprised that the two wins have come with Dallas and then Brooklyn. Then, of course, they lose the last two, and that brings them to a two and four record on the season. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, this is something the Hornets have done. James Borrego ha- has challenged them to come in with the correct amount of fear is the terms that he used. And he thought they did so appropriately. So against Brooklyn and Dallas, and they performed a lot better. Their, their defense was atrocious against Cleveland tightened up a little bit, a little bit against Oklahoma city. And then you thought again, you left uh, the last two games, you know, with the really positive outlook on the Hornets. And then it's the Memphis Grizzlies who have a ton of guys out injured it was a game that the Hornets absolutely should have won and they get blown out 108 to 93, where it was a bad second half performance from them. That can't keep happening with this team overall. I guess you would be, I guess you would have projected somewhere around 500 for this team after the first six games. And so it's not like anything has crazy as far as the uh, overall record is for, for the Hornets, but it certainly was surprising to see them blow out Dallas and even get that tight win against Brooklyn. Last thing for you, Walker, before I let you go. What's the early returns on Gordon Haywood in a Hornets uniform? Uh, He was clearly the best player on the floor the first two games. That game against Memphis, he, Devontae Graham, and Terry Rozier all really struggled from the field, and that's a reason that you're going to lose, even against a team like Memphis, who was so hurt. You can't have those three guys continue to shoot that poorly. But his numbers overall in the season are pretty good. You see his three-point percentage around what his career three-point percentage is. You see him shooting at about 47% from the field. He's a guy that I think has – done a good job facilitating also he had seven assists in the first three contests of the season and i think that was something that was what i was going to be really excited about him coming in um as soon as they announced the gordon hayward signing despite not liking the contract right you know we can get into that conversation all day just what he could do on the floor for this team i thought he was doing a really good job of you know allowing other players to grow he's a really nice fit with this team so i I think Look, he's not worth $30 million a year. Even if he plays really well this season, it's not going to make me think that, yeah, I'll take him for the next three years and finish out the total 120. You know, that that's not anything I, I see myself really changing my mind on. But Gordon has been a really good basketball player for the Charlotte Hornets team, and I think he allows other players to grow around him. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Like, there's no denying that he is a very good player and an upgrade on what they had, but you also didn't want to necessarily pay that amount of money, and those two things can be true at the same time. Walker, thank you for jumping on Locked On NBA and chatting with us here about the uh, the Charlotte Hornets, and they can get all of your Hornets thoughts over on Locked On Hornets. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA. Josh, it's always a good time, man. Good to talk to you.
And that'll do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Don't forget to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify, and give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way of helping the show out. You can follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball as well. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.